1: Welcome to the Diversity Remix, Busting the Echo Chambers of Culture, Politics, and Business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week on TDR, what's the deal with diversity, equity, and inclusion? In our deep dive today, we'll look at what's true, exaggerated, and misunderstood about corporate diversity in post-George Floyd America. And in our Courage or Cringe segment, Biden and the Pope, Virginia legislator in blackface, and Doritos does Dia de los Muertos pride style. Are Catholic bishops rightfully calling out the president and pope for willfully ignoring Catholic teaching, or are they adding to partisan division by jumping into the political sphere? Was a white Virginia legislator misunderstood for his black movie character costume? Or is his rendition a confirmation that blackface doesn't work in any scenario? And finally, did a leading snack food celebrate the LGBTQ community in an inspirational and culturally relevant way? Or did they jump on the woke bandwagon to sell more chips? This and more, this week on TDR. By the way, just to tie into our deep dive so we could get started on that, I had this like moment with a guy, I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody a few days ago where just at the end of this conversation, he's like, and I'm just meeting this person so I can tell that they're trying to suss me out kind of where I feel. And they're like, is it wrong for me to be very suspicious about some of the DE&I stuff that we're doing here? Like, And I was like, hmm, tell me more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But basically... Uh, I mean, it wasn't exactly this, but it was the idea that it seemed like all of the decision making around what it is was being placed on one individual, like in this case, a kind of a head of the diversity right. or whatever department. And there were some things that this guy didn't necessarily agree with, but he didn't feel like the ability right. to to say much. That and ties directly into what we're going to talk the,
2: about. That's part of the challenge, right? I mean, yeah. So you know, part of the deep dive we wanted to get into there was a. Um, a piece that just came out um, about this, um, this person, Joseph Hill, who was basically looking to uh, – had actually been, been offered an, a, a, you know, a job to be the vice president and chief equity, diversity, and inclusion officer uh, at Memorial Hermann Health System in Houston. And according to the report, you know, basically his offer got rescinded like four days later, right? Or four days before he was about to start. So he hadn't he actually started yet. But he hadn't had, started yeah. yet, but he was already looking for housing. He, I mean, this was like all in, right? Mm-hmm. And um, apparently he just got a, you know, and he has an email that he got from the head of resources or human resources vice president, uh, Lori Knowles, I think the name of the person, that, that all they said is, we regret to inform you that you that we are rescinding the offer of the employment dated July 21st, 2021. We appreciate your interest in the position and wish you much success going forward. And the
1: guy's like in a U-Haul on the way to Houston. Yeah, that literally was going around
2: with, um, you know, with a real estate person assigned by the company (laughs) to help him relocate. And he gets an email, not a call, not a conversation. We like the personal touch. And, and, you know, this story kind of gets into a whole bunch of things, right? Part of the reason why, at at least according to the story that they say is that, you know, he had raised already some concerns on some of the, you know, well, I think what many people would describe a subtle racism that happens many times, people will, you know, they're being nice, they're being cordial, but yet there's a su- subtle racist undertone to some of the comments, and he sort of... Uh, highlighted some of that. Is that even from the from like, the real estate person? Yeah, but like this is but
1: this is Joseph Hill saying this. This right? is Joseph
2: Hill. Right. So that's why I didn't but I didn't think it was a good uh, or go on for us to dig into like a curtain cringe much. because we're not really getting the other side the as other much. Side, right? right. All I'm saying is like according to him, he feels that some of the reason why this got rescinded is that basically this is a company that is saying that it's committed to you know to to diversity. It's heading to it's, saying it's committed to hiring a head of DNI. But yeah, when a person is about to come in and they start to raise some questions, the potential—let's not call them red flags, yellow flags—of things that are that need to get addressed. Even apparently, she was already asking for you know what resources am i gonna have, investment available. Um, there was even an accusation, a comment about this real estate person saying a comment about his car being so nice, and then the company thinking that he rented a car that was too expensive. It turns out it was actually his car. Mm-hmm. Right? I guess the guy drives a Porsche, but that was a pro- you know like. And it is the kind of thing that I think raises the flags of like, is this a case where is a company who's saying the right things publicly, but when it comes down to you start hearing some of the the things that you don't want to hear, that you don't even want to have a person there. And it raises sort of the broader question is like, are some of these efforts by some of these companies more just virtual signaling? And in the cases where they've been coming through and doing something, is it more about we just want to get different colored people in the in the room, but I said they have different thought in different the room.
1: Different thought. Yeah, uh, and the-
2: I think those were all like. Really interesting points. Once again, this article, I don't want to get too much into yeah. it because the, we're not really getting that much of the other side, and I'm sure it's going to come out, but it's not quite there yet. And all
1: of this serves as a broader entree to what we want to talk about, which right. is kind of where we're at in terms of DE&I, uh, maybe from a post-George Floyd standpoint. One thing that raises my red flag, just even about what you said, is isn't it kind of, isn't it a little unusual to after you've accepted a job and you're moving somewhere to then begin to ask about resources? Like You've accepted the job.
2: No, 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 no. No, I I completely disagree with that because it depends on how a company operates. It could be the kind of thing where it's like, we'll figure it out later and you'll figure it out as you come in. Um, I think it depends on on whether or not um, this was some a requirement to come into the job because to your, to your point, if you're coming into this kind of role, you say, hey, if I'm going to take this role, what is the budget? How many reasons do I have? How do you guys support or, this
1: across the organization? Right?
2: Or it could be a case where, hey, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. We want to start with you. We'll figure it out. We're going to go into budgeting. Yeah, of course. And so we don't know. both of those could be true. So I, I don't necessarily place much weight on that. But what's true
1: about this is it made headlines because the guy you know, in, in these positions that that have always existed, maybe not always, have existed for a while before George Floyd, mm-hmm. then since George Floyd have risen in prominence and importance that it seemed very out of left field for a person to be hired into that role and then fired even before they start. I mean, that's... And fired before they start, right before they start, and then fired in that manner. Yeah. yeah. is that fire? I mean, technically it's not
2: fired because you hadn't started, but to rescind an offer in that manner... It's when the same people, thing, because you've accepted. Like, how do things fired. go that south, that quickly? That's well, your pre-hire moment. Right. So there, there is definitely something odd here. Um, in this story, um, and it, I don't think it looks good for
1: for for this hospital. So that article cited uh, some material in yeah. terms of kind of what, like a, a summary of what corporate America looks like and is doing. So yeah, since that since when, George Floyd, when um, you know everything happened, you
2: know in the summer of 2020, and a lot of these companies came out f- first publicly being support of, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and the broader movements around addressing inequities. That support kind of manifested itself, at least in commitments, in very different ways. In very different different way, different ways. One was, you had many people that came out and said, "Hey, we're now going to invest more in this community." Right? We're going to and that sort of took shape in either many times funds that were set up directly to help support more diverse entrepreneurs, or direct funding into either organizations or people that were directly involved in impacting those communities. So that's maybe one. The second one that you saw a lot of is that we're going to start to diversify organi- like our organizations more, right? And this is more at both at operational level, I'll say people that do the work, and also at director level. So here's we do have some data on that, right? So you know, looking at the board seats, um, basically the, the the folks that control the direction, the strategy of 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 a, of a company to have better representation there. So that's mm-hmm. another place. Um, and then I think the other thing that was actually interesting is when you saw some of the big, like, mutual funds, like, bigger investment vehicles that were saying, hey, if you're going to start diversifying as a company, we're going to shift where we put these, like, big buckets of dollars. And that also had a big sort of push into into helping uh, companies start thinking about this much, much more. Mm-hmm. So the question that still becomes then what has happened, right? How much has that actually come come to light? And at least on one report that we were able to pull up, there is uh, an organization called Board Practices, and uh, or Conference Board. I'm sorry, Conference Board, which Conference I actually board. know. They've
1: been they've been around for quite a while.
2: Yeah, so super interesting. They put out a report that basically looked at how director the board of directors has changed in terms of diversity over the last five years. So I thought that would be a good starting point for us to have a conversation around this, right? So. I have some of that data here in front of me, so ha- happy to get into that, uh, if that if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, I, do, do you have, like, an opening thought even before you looked at this data? Wh- how would you peg the progress if there has been any? Or where do you think we're at? Because, like, there, yeah. there's two things I've heard, which is, like, you know, doing great, always need to do more, or it's stalling. Like, it's fizzled out, or, you know what I mean? Like, there's two the things that I would say that I can look at
2: from my viewpoint is that there definitely has been an increase in heads of D&I, organization. For you sure. tons of that. I also do kind of see those roles many times with a lot of skepticism. If this is a check the box mentality. Or if that's all they're doing, the moment that that gets hired on, if that's all of a sudden like we're done with our diversity efforts, right? I think the story that we just talked about sort of speaks a little bit to that, you know, to the degree that some of these companies are very motivated by this is bringing some folks that we can say that we've done it, but yet don't we have to worry about doing any real change. There. So the real change, I think, is hard to measure right now. So I think that's one. There definitely has been an increase in terms of funds that are more diverse focused. I also have some question marks in terms of how successful that has been, because at least my POV on a lot of those is that I think, even with really good intent, a lot of times those same funds get caught into the same dynamics of trying to back the horses that are already winning, which is very different than than supporting than funding the new ideas, new entrepreneurs that haven't brought things to life, and they'll typically have the access to the network to get some of these things going, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're backing the same horses that are already winning, that actually doesn't really help change the dynamic because those people were going to raise money anyway. That makes sense. So sure. that to me, like, that's a little bit of a still big, big question mark. Um, you know, the board of directors, I think that's a long process. And that will, I was super curious to see if there's any significant difference of the last two years. That's why I was really excited to see this data that had a five-year time period to see, are we seeing a, a bigger change year over year, 2020 and 2021, or the last two years versus what was happening 2016 and
1: 2015, so or 2017. What's, et cetera.
2: what's one of those comps? So, as an example, uh, so for director, uh, for board directors, right? Now, this is for S and P 500 companies, right? So they did a study, and it, and it basically shows. Um, what is the percentage of distribution of ethnicity? Now, one thing to keep in mind is the percentage of people that have even responded has gone up quite a bit, but it's still a fairly small number. I forget what it was for 2021, but it was, I think it was less than 30%.
1: You mean responded from the makeup from of, the, company. The, gr- of the, the, the various companies. From the company, yeah, yeah. So
2: what the response rate, I forget what it was. I think it was around 30%, maybe a little bit less than that. And that's like at an all-time high, right? So I it's bet. been a, a low number. So according to the reported data, right, so in 2016, African-American, so directors that were african Americans made up 9.9% of all board directors that were reported in the study, right? So a little bit, just, just less of 10%. Uh, Latinos were 5.2%, and then Asian, Hawaiian, or Pacific out another 5%, right? right? So when you think about under-indexing, significantly for Latinos, like really massive.
1: The worst one, for the sure. The worst
2: one, for sure. African-American under, but a but little better, right? and then white caucasian was at you know 79.6% so almost 80% so way over indexed there right and asian uh asian at 5% so, so it's on about par. bottom part right so that's kind of been the case that was 2016 so fast forward from 2016 to 2021 mm-hmm. right african americans go from 9.9% to about 13.3% so almost right on parity i would say right uh, latinos go from uh 5.2% to 5.3% Damn. So literally no difference, right? Which is terrible. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Asian, Hawaiian, and Pacific Islanders go from 5%. 5.2% to 4.1%. So it actually goes down
1: some. So it drops. Well,
2: you do see an increase now. Is of other, right? So these could, people could be multiracial. multiracial. So that's about uh, about a percentage point.
1: And Which is also white, an underindex. Yeah. There's 35 million multiracials in the country. And for Hawaii,
2: it has gone from 79.6% to 76.4%. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you see there, definitely some gains... And, and you can, when you look at the actual gains, what's interesting is that actually the biggest jump in gains that, that I see here is actually from 2016 to 2017, even for African-Americans, going from 9.9 to 11.2. And it kind of continues to kind of climb up. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, kind of jumps another percentage point from 2018 to 2019, from 11.2 to 12.3. And then from that to from 19 to 20 goes down some to 11.9, and then it jumps back up. I've, you know, a more significant jump uh, if from you're the, 2020, to 2020, 2020 to 2021.
1: If you're the chairman of the board, because that would be a position that has some sway over the composition of board members, right? Yep. So if you're the chairman of a board, what's your – like personally, you – like what's your um, I'm doing okay? Is it when you've achieved population parity or when you've achieved maybe – some other metric based on the industry that you're in
2: yeah. or like. H- I think it's tough to make as much as we use population parity as a gauge. Right. And I think it is a good gauge to sort of think about this. But the reality is, depending on the industry that you're in, it's just it's just not the same. Right. Uh, I mean, there is actually organizations, one that I just got connected with not that long ago, that are specifically working for more with more diverse candidates to help them in that journey to better prepare. For the point where you then can become eligible to be joined a board, especially for a public company. Uh, And it's a process. Oh, for sure. And it should be. And the reality is that for these changes, it's not going to happen overnight. I think if you want to have more representation, instead of being 5% for Latinos, make that closer to the 18% that we've population. Right. Or Let's say go from five to 10 is like a top of the funnel, right? You got to really increase the amount of people that are even in that in that,
1: so that the few can end up at the end. That's yeah. right.
2: To uh, to prepare themselves to get there. So I think if you're a chairman, I think the thing that I will be looking at is to what degree am I making progress in definitely diversifying my group, but also bringing different perspectives, not just in color but also in experience. People that are not. So I will look at: Is everyone on my board from Harvard? That's a problem. Mm-hmm. I don't care what color they are. If they're mm-hmm. all from Harvard, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I have joked about this, and I've shared with you. When I joined Univision, I was the first person that was ever hired from UCLA. And in the interview process, in a half-joke manner, someone told me, "You know, the thing you got going against you is that you're not from Harvard." Right. So here, here we have, it, but a, you're
1: talking explicitly for the record for that like CEO SWAT team that you got brought that's into. That's right. Though. But but yeah, but that wasn't like, like to be a salesperson for radio. Like that's they weren't hiring right. From yeah, from Harvard. Yeah, there.
2: It, it was. It, that's that's exactly right. But my point is, even if you think about it. As a proxy or as a way to think about these higher, more elevated positions that are stricter to get into, having folks that have the exact same educational experience, I think is is is, I would look at it as problematic if I was a chairman of a board. Yeah. Say I want to bring in different kind of experience. Um, Also, what is the composition of work experience and industry experience that I could bring on board? I think that's also a really big one. Uh, so to, much of to, to this is, is think the, the like, different life,
1: place, life experience is a big one. So much of this is definitely the places that people are looking, it seems to me, yeah. though, because, again, to your point on Harvard, if that's your pipeline is strictly made up from those folks, irrespective of their ethnic background, they probably have, you know, similar formation, you know what I mean? Yeah. And similar experiences. And maybe, you know, I don't know. It's just it, it seems like a lot of the challenge in this is where you're looking, you know, what is interesting, I agree with you. What is interesting, when you
2: then compare it, because I gave you the numbers for S&P 500, we look at the Russell 3000, right? There, you don't see as much gains uh, for African-Americans. You go from 9.9% in 16 to 10.9% in 21. And for Latinos, it goes from what was 5.7%, which is at a higher compared to everything, else, down to 4.4%. Um, and then for Asians is about six point six to four point nine. What what I find that in, why I find that interesting is I feel like if you're an S and P five hundred company, yeah, you have a lot more eyes on you.
1: It suggests that you're doing it for actually some level on what you're on 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 the visibility of it of your brand.
2: I think your brand has probably more visibility, which also means that it has people are like looking to see whether or not you're doing this. Mm-hmm. I think it also means probably companies that are having to have more of a public position to say we're going to do something about it and then having to live up to it. Um so that at least you know where you have seen the bigger the bigger representation in on African American.
1: If that's true then the inference there is also that it's less genuine.
2: Potentially. I mean, no, I, I disagree with that. I mean, Why? Th- because it doesn't tell me anything about how genuine they are about, about about their efforts. What it does tell me is if you measure it, you'll probably see improvement.
1: But well, so, okay, but hang on a second. How do we reconcile those two? If what you're saying, and this is a theory, if what you're saying is that the reason that those numbers may be higher for the S&P is because more people are paying attention.
2: Yeah, I think it's a combination of more people paying <clears throat> attention. Also, because of the size of companies that you're doing more things directly to try to correct. It. So, so I think if it's both.
1: It's a, right, okay. So if it's a driver, though, that more people are paying attention, then it would follow that I'm doing it because more people are paying attention and not necessarily because this is something that I actually believe and want to make part of my culture yeah, internally. I, 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 well,
2: I, I don't agree with that only because I think the whole thing is not genuine. Otherwise, it would be a much better representation to begin with. It's kind of my
1: starting position, so I don't. So you think it's already kind of the the phoniness is baked in. in
2: I, a sense. I I do. I think that it's already there to begin with. These are all companies that are being forced to make these these moves, or yeah, that that. that and I think part of it also comes from when you know you know we talk about this, the fact that we are living through a much more consumer conscious era, or where consumers are also and employees, frankly, are both being a lot more demanding of saying, hey, what are you actually doing? What are you? What how is this actually changing? We, you and I have joked plenty of times about that Instagram account. I always forget the name of it—the one that had like all the logos and different shades of white. That matters, man. Like when okay. people see their, I'm not saying it doesn't their, matter. Their, their I'm <laughs> logo, just saying it goes to more Translucent, you know. Yeah, I agree with it. But I, to me, they're kind of all in the same bucket. I don't know if I, if I make the folks that are Russell 3000 like that are more genuine. No, mm-hmm. just because someone's not paying attention, and you're not doing anything about it anyway. You will still be in the same boat, as far as I'm concerned. My
1: my son, who's a pilot, um, brought to light for me that uh, 3% of pilots are people of color. Three. Three, really? It is extraordinarily low. That's really interesting. And so you think about, if you're the chairman of, I don't know, whatever, you know, McDonnell Douglas or Mm -hmm. Lockheed or one of these, like, big aviation, you know, kind of folks, the industry itself, like, you could easily make that excuse, right? And say, like, hey, this is just the nature of what we're in, it's much harder for us to go do this, right? But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, that, that it takes effort is clear.
2: Yeah. But it, that you have to do it is another. What, what was interesting is looking at the breakout at the director level by gender, right? There you have seen, I think, better gains uh, for female directors, right? In 2016, for the S&P 500, about 20% of directors were female. This is all the same, same kind of dynamic, right? And then by 2021, that jumped up to 29.1%. Right, so almost a 50% increase, a little bit less than that. Right, so that's a pretty, pretty good jump. It's still beyond, I'm sure, compared to actual even not even uh, population, but just work population, I would assume. Um, and then for the Russell 3000, it went from 15% in 2016 to 24.4% in 2021. So a big, pretty big jump there.
1: I think there's an organizational. I wonder what you think of this. There's an organizational a uh, challenge that gets created sometimes, or at least I've seen in conversations I've had with people around a lot of these de roles that were in the past very HR only. It was mm-hmm. an HR focused thing, right? Yeah. It was, we're going to talk about the way we find people, how we train people, how we mentor them, how we equip them, all yada, yada, really good. But it was pretty much limited to that. Now it seems that de i roles have a lot more operational sway yeah. in terms of the rest of the organization. Which on one level, you go, okay, good, that makes sense that somebody's injecting that perspective into all the different aspects. But in a way, for me, it's also just a variation of some of the challenge that you have with this kind of center of excellence approach, which is now you've created a lot of potential people who can say no to something. But is that really authority in a way, right? In other words, like what I've seen in practice is Mm -hmm. we have to get D and I to check off on this. And if they don't, we've got a problem. There's a lot of internal selling, pressure that gets enacted, but- Is that just a step toward this deeper integration, or is that where you think some of this stuff goes? Because if it does, if it does go to that, if that's the role, like I'm the traffic cop of diversity, and I get to make sure that everybody's doing the right thing, I don't know, what does that do for the culture, and what does that do for people actually integrating this idea of diversity into the work that they do? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you say
2: it that way, is that a structural problem that you're raising or an organizational problem that you're raising? It's I, think it's, I
1: think it's organizational because I think you could you could but, have right. So then if it's
2: organizational that's a that's a culture problem of that business, not a structural one. Mm-hmm. Be, the fact that someone will have to say now we got to get these the DNI person to buy in on this, that means that they see them as, A, as adversary, as someone that is outside of the problem, outside of the solution, not part of the, of the work that you're doing. You would never say, now we have to go get the CFO to sign off on this, or now we have to go uh, get the might... CO. Some people operate that way, but if, yeah. you have that, if that's the way you're operating, you're really like in a bad starting place. So, see what I'm so, saying? So, so to me, so that, a that's cultural a cultural issue. I mean, look to me de- that. To
1: me, that feels like a cultural issue. If that we're is dealing the case. With, with that dynamic literally in real time, where yeah. a person in diversity, equity, inclusion has called a stop to something that operationally was flowing right? because there's some concern or complaint or issue that they have. Now, I don't know how the rest of those teams are responding to that. But at the end of the day, I'm going, if I don't get person X to approve this, my yeah. thing isn't going to go forward. Does that make it easier for me to want to then? incorporate that person's discipline into my everyday work or less likely to incorporate that person's discipline into my everyday work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, Because at scale, the only way we do this is if everybody does this, if everybody cares about this. I think at
2: scale, it has to be everyone's job. But the reality, we know that if you don't have a driving force to get these things started and moving, it's really hard to get everyone to care about this Mm -hmm. uh, and to make that kind of change. So I, I hear you on that. And I think that definitely is a very practical problem. Uh, but I also think that the way you start to solve for that is, A, that person needs to be viewed as part of that group, needs to be involved in the operation. To your point, if it is going to be much more operational oriented, then they should be part of the operation. Um, I think what good looks like is actually not having to need a DNI person. I mean, that's a reality. The degree that you need it is because you have a problem.
1: I think if it were me, I, I would be much more uh, likely to decentralize de into the different operating functions. Maybe as like... Also reporting into like mm-hmm. a DNI structure, but not itself a thing in 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 a strict sense. Sure. Where maybe if I'm in an accounting group yeah, or a marketing kind of matrix
2: group, uh, organization, more like that, yeah. right?
1: Because I think that that at least comes a little closer to if you have somebody who's D&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but is living a I don't know product. Uh, life cycle, scrum process, at, like every day they're meeting with the, pro- like, but that's their role within the context of that yeah. operation. At le- they live it. Not only does the DNI person live the discipline, but the discipline people live DNI much more every day than having it be like, okay, we've built this thing, now let's make sure DNI likes it. And it's like, it, to me, well, that's. But that, well, that's
2: also, I think, a result of organizations that set up these roles and give them no budget, no structure, and frankly, just the ability to say no. Like, that's where the power lies, right? So, you can see how very quickly someone asserts their importance by saying no to things as opposed to being of able to power things. But I think it's part of because it was trying to not empower that person to really be able to more influence the business because there should be a process to say, hey, if you're a data person, like, how are you, like, what are you doing? How are you getting pulled in by the other core parts of the business? to integrate a DNI philosophy into everyday work that we're doing. Right. Not just come for approvals after the fact. Exactly. Rubber stamp approvals. Rubber right? stamp. The d so, so I think that's, that's a, I still go back to, I think it's an organizational problem.
1: No, I agree it's an organizational. I'm just saying that it seems yeah. to be one that may be pervasive in certain places. You know
2: what was interesting is they even did a breakout on a board of directors by... Uh, the race by by business sector. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting when then, you know, because we saw the overall numbers going back to the, I think this is the, actually the Russell 3000. Um, but the ones that really were under um, um, represented, especially for Afri- African Americans, was the energy sector. Only about 5% of directors were African American there. Uh, I think the second lowest was materials at 9%. Uh, there was some that were significantly higher, like utilities at 15%. Mm. Uh, or consumer staples at thirteen percent. For Latinos, it was terrible. Just sucks across the, board. across the
1: board. What's that about?
2: Across the board, it was terrible. The worst was at let me do the uh, healthcare at two point seven percent. How weird is that? Well, Why was healthcare? Well,
1: but especially in an industry where at least at a ground floor, at a frontline basis, we overindex. You yeah, should be yeah, this should be way overindex. Yeah, two point seven percent in healthcare.
2: So the highest was oh. Uh, Consumer staples at uh, at eight percent.
1: Mm. Where where does that under index for Latino to your mind come from? Um, like what's I, the? I
2: don't know. I think I think what you have seen if you look at the, the going back to the numbers that we shared earlier. Um, I think there has been a concerted effort to address diversity gaps and inequities within the African American community, and I, and I definitely can see, especially when it happened over over the summer with George Floyd a lot of companies saying we're going to commit to, you know, addressing these issues. And then you see that commitment turn into actual real, ch- real change. I think while Latinos have benefited some from that, it hasn't, I think in many cases, at least what I could point to doesn't seem to be a concerted effort or one that has been sort of, when we get to it, we get to it. And I think that's part of what the result is, is my guess.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know where you net out on this. I think, uh, you know, on one side, all All uh, areas that drive the tide up in terms of the inside of organizations being more representative of the the diversity on the outside, I think, is positive. My question is always, like, what are we we shooting for at a macro level? Like, what is the good number that we're trying to get to? That's number one, which is one of those unanswered questions that I Mm -hmm. think is important. And the second one is, once you have that, then what are you doing with it inside of the organization so that it's not that thing that I can tell you from a lot of conversations I've had with people and some of them in confidence, it it is that in some right. organizations. It definitely
2: feels that way. And when you look at it in terms of priority, going back to diversifying this, when they reported on new hires, new directors that came on board by ethnicity in 2021, uh, 13.6% of them were African-American, right? Uh, and 5.6% were Latino. So even as we're trying to close the gap, it's still way under-indexing if you want to close the gap. Uh, there is, as a matter of fact, the gap is getting wider if you think about it that, that
1: way. I'm very happy for the African-American community yep. because it's, a, it's, a, it's an uptick. I'm completely s- still puzzled by right. the inability to raise the, the tide on the Latino side. Also,
2: think it's, it's a process, though, and I, I, I could see that, but it's just it's not, it's not too comforting. It's me a
1: process it. and it takes work. So it sounds like it, the net-net is we, we got some work still to do We do. (laughs) Final word. All right. Uh, You want to play Courage or Cringe? Let's do it. Cool. What's up? What's the first one?
2: Courage or cringe. Lots of uh, fun ones. This week. We had like way too many topics
1: um, to pick from. That is true. I thought we had nothing to talk about, and then you're like, no, we have like 15 things I, to talk about. You've been like, oh, ignoring
2: uh, every uh, other yeah. topic I was sending you. It's like so many of
1: them. And I'm the one who started that Slack channel, which is the funny part. <laughs> what? It's in the Slack? So yeah. uh, our first courage or cringe, Biden
2: slammed by Catholic priests for meeting with Pope Francis and taking communion. So, you know, President Biden is in the middle of his second major foreign trip, which started with a trip to Rome and to the Vatican, right, to meet with the Pope. Um, that made this meeting with the Pope, I think, the fourth time that he's met with them, um, you know, before.
1: By the way, that that mm-hmm. that turn of phrase, went to Rome and to the Vatican, is because, and a lot of people don't know this, Vatican City is its own country, right? right? Vatican City is not Italy. It's not Rome, right? It's its own country. It has its own head of state, which is the Pope has its own police Yeah, I wrote it right though, right? Yeah, no, no. You okay, did. see, I did it because of you because uh, I'm, I'm more i much more I, aware of this now. I think, no, but I think a lot of people think Vatican City is a place in Italy, and, it, right, and it's right. not. No. Vatican City is its own country, and right. I just, right. I don't know, I just always want to throw in a little trivia. I
2: think that's, yeah, it's great. So the president and the Pope, you know, spent about 90 minutes together. Uh, afterwards, the president was very pleased about his time with the Pope, and to this he said, this is a man who has great empathy, he is a man who understands that part of his Christianity is to teach out, to reach out, and to forgive. And so I just find my relationship with him one that I personally take great solace in. He is really, truly, genuine, decent man. right? Afterwards, the president also mentioned that Pope Francis has said to him that he was pleased that he was that President Biden was a good Catholic, and that he should continue receiving communion. And this is obviously an issue that has been controversial due to the president, um, you know, pro-choice support. Right. Mm-hmm. And the president then took advantage of this by receiving community at St. Patrick's uh, Church the next day after meeting with uh, Pope Francis. Well, you know, not everyone was, was too happy about that, that move with either the president or the pope. So several U.S. bishops expressed dismay about the pope's reported words to Biden So there was Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. Who I've met, by the way. Oh, have you? Okay, Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. He retweeted uh, a blog post by conservative cardinal Raymond Burke that strongly reaffirmed that Catholic politicians who support abortion rights cannot receive the sacrament. Then there was Bishop of Providence Thomas Tobin who said, I fear that the church has lost its prophetic prophetic, uh, voice. Where are the John the Baptists who will confront the Herod, Herods? Herods, Herods, yeah, Herods of our day, yeah, Herods, Herods, yeah. right of yeah. our, of our day. He also challenged the Pope directly by saying, "Dear Pope Francis, you have boldly stated that abortion is murder. Please challenge President Biden on this critical issue. His persistent support of abortion is an embarrassment for the Catholic Church, uh, for the Church, and a scandal to the world." Thank you very respectfully, your brother Thomas. Now, according to President Biden, the issue of abortion did not actually come up with his discussions with Pope Francis, which I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, this all comes after the U after this past summer, the U.S. Co- uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops uh, held their annual the annual meeting where they voted overwhelmingly to draft a formal document on the meaning of the Eucharist after a contentious debate on whether Biden and other politicians uh, politicians who support of abortion policies are worthy of receiving communion. Right. Right which we've talked about. Um, and the follow up of that is going to be in this month, November. right? November. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Okay. So the decision of whether Biden should be allowed um, will still be a, uh, to to receive communion will still be a, left up to individual bishops, which you know you, you explained to me the last time. Yep. As a standard for all churchgoers, but the new document would inform those decisions, right? So Courage or Cringe? Bishops rightfully call out the president and the pope for willfully ignoring Catholic teachings. Or bishops adding to a partisan to partisan divisions by necessarily jumping into the political sphere.
1: Yeah, it's one of these like you know, in uh, in preparation for this show, and you know I already said this. Like, Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where to do justice to this issue in in a in a true sense, you need a lot more time than frankly even we have, even for this medium that you can go on forever. But that's the reality. Is there's a lot of nuance here. Look, at the end of the day, I think I'm cringe on this statement. Okay, of Biden slammed by Catholic priests for meeting with Pope Francis taking communion. But we really have to parse out a number of things. Number one, I think it's really interesting that at least priests in a strict sense are not even mentioned once in the article. I mean, of course, all bishops are priests, and maybe that's what they meant. They're trying to make a theological point. I don't know. But they didn't actually identify any priests that 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 have slammed— the Pope. Oh, they, okay. they, they said some statements of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, a couple of bishops that that had some things to say. Which well, would it be worse? Actually, I would say if you said by Catholic
2: bishops instead of by Catholic priests, I would think that that's well, it more a, indicting because there's more leadership it, within the
1: church. It would be it would be accurate. Although I think that the headline is 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 kind of inaccurate. Right? I don't see anybody slamming um, uh, a bot. Well, I don't see anybody slamming Biden in the comments that were made. Yeah, it's more Uh, by yeah. But but anyway, whatever. So Mm -hmm. so that's just one small point. The the thing that I like about the fact that he met with the Pope for 90 minutes, it's like 60 minutes to talk about whatever and 30 minutes for confession. You know what I mean? Because, like, we have no idea if—it could have very easily happened that the president had confession with the Pope, the Pope gave him absolution, and guess what? Even if you're Catholic— you are not supposed to receive communion if you've got serious sin on your soul. So you go to confession, then you can go to communion. So this is not about Biden as an individual. It's anybody. It's me. It's anybody sure. who's, who's a Catholic. So maybe he did, and that's why he went and he received communion the next day. And by the way, he could do that. We don't know. Biden could do that every week. He does go to mass every week. Maybe he goes to confession every week. I have no idea. Right. So the issue of him receiving communion to me is absolutely separate from this, okay? Because at the moment that he's receiving communion, no one, no one knows besides him and God whether right. or not he's actually fit to receive. But, but that,
2: now, is, the broader issue that, that is the broader that, that issue the people that people really have with him receiving communion to begin with. Well, I I, I think
1: the broader issue is let's assume that he goes to confession and receives absolution and he goes and he receives communion because he's got nothing to to worry about. And that would be perfectly fine. But then he's also publicly very supportive of these Mm -hmm. positions. So it's the difference between your kind of public acts, right? And between how you are as a private person and a bishop is supposed to deal with the individual, right? right? And, and, and be pastoral to that individual. Mm -hmm. I could totally see the Pope saying to him, listen, you know, you're, you're striving to lead a holy life, you're, you're you know, having the sacraments, you have an understanding of whatever it is that you believe that the Church is, you're in constant communication with your pastor at your church, which is in somewhere in Delaware, and your bishop, which he has actually two, one for Delaware and one for Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in that context, keep doing that, you're being a good Catholic. I, can under, I could totally see that. By the way, the other interesting point is, unlike most popes, popes generally speak like 12 languages, right? John Paul II spoke like 13 languages. Pope Francis only speaks three fluently, English, Italian, and German. Hmm. I'm sorry, not English. Spanish, Italian, and German. English is a language he doesn't speak well. Oh, I and know And in that. fact, so most of this conversation would have had to have been through translators. And so you have that to contend with as well. Sure. And then let's add to the equation, you know, let's say, to be very charitable, Biden's lack of articulation, let's say, in terms of how he gets... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how he gets uh, his words out in certain ways.
0: I mean, uh, who knows...
1: a low-key dig right there. <laughs> Look, I don't know another nice way to say it. There's uh-huh. people, there are people who are really articulate and who, who speak beautifully. He's not one of them. That's just right, the reality. Right, right. And even when he... It's not about his age. Even when he was 40 or 30, he didn't speak sure. super well anyway. But my point is that I don't... I, what was said by Biden about what they discussed, I dramatically discount. Just dramatically mm-hmm. discount given some of those circumstances, right? Well, fact- you could discount, but do you think he's lying? No. It's different to be discounting; to be no. embellished. Versus, no, I don't think him. he's. I don't think he's lying. Okay. I, I could totally see Pope Francis giving him an attaboy and saying, "Keep being a good Catholic," like just, okay. a, just as a, like a right, right. you know a source of, and him going out and going, "I'm a good Catholic." Therefore, you know that's the headline.
2: I think anyone that's Catholic that got an attaboy from the Pope. I don't care who you are, you're going to be feel pretty
1: good about yourself but, if I you want know, to say that. bear in mind that, you know, the Pope, like like <laughs> right? this, of course, but this Pope and other Popes, you know, have gone to prisons and washed the feet of death row inmates who have murdered people. Sure. And like, because that's what the faith is. I mean, that is, it's about forgiveness, it's about reconciliation, mm-hmm. it's about meeting somebody where they are, but then showing them the way. So there, and then add to that the fact that Pope Francis is a pastoral theologian, right? So the fact that his whole emphasis is on like walking the theology of the church in a very specific experience, like with you, Jesus, or with Joe, but it's not, like his focus area is on that particular individual and how it applies in that case. So all of these things, and I was going to mention another one and it just flew out of my head, but all of these things are a way for me to say that I put very little stock in this idea of, you know, that the, the, the Pope gave, the president, this kind of like you're good man. Bill of health, keep saying and doing what you're saying because Pope Francis. It is true. Like the the bishop of, of uh, is it Newark uh, Tobin that mm-hmm. said said what he said. Pope Francis is also the same pope who has said explicitly over and over, abortion is murder. He actually said that you don't hire. It's like hiring a hitman to deal with your problems. That's what he said about mm-hmm. abortion. So it's the same person, yeah. right? So you have to take all of these factors into how do you feel uh, into about account. these bishops so publicly calling out. The Pope. Well, let me let me get let me get to that. So, because um, to me that's the most interesting thing of this ho- the is. whole story. Yeah, it yeah. is, and I think that's new. But then it's hard to separate that from just the advent of social media, right? Because there's been a lot of bishops who have had their opinions about popes throughout the ages, and there's been some really dicey popes. You know, what I mean, you go right. back to some. There's like three or four popes. Um, I'm gonna forget who they actually were, but it was like back in the, you know in the in the earlier uh, centuries of the church mm-hmm. some of which were really bad dudes. you know what I mean who who, who who did things that you know were certainly not what the what the church taught and did very few of them right we've had two, there's been 265 of them and there's been three or four that have just been really, really bad in2,000 years. So, um, but nevertheless, there has been, and I'm sure that bishops had their perspectives and points of views, and there's lots of history of bishops getting into it with popes, but it was always something you read in a history book. It wasn't broadcast to the universe. So it it seems like that kind of thing, like praise publicly and then, you know, yeah, but, but then do this, this privately
2: and this is, they're not taking that, that, uh, that approach.
1: But, but let, but then let's, let's break it down. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, the statement that you read from Bishop Strickland, which is, you know, to, to, just to place for people who may not be Catholic or not not be tuned into this is probably one of the if not the most socially active social media active bishops in the country right and he is absolute he's like one of those like firebrands if there's a person who like is gonna just say it like it is right it's him that's his that's his thing right but if you if you break that down um you know he's saying where what is was is the exact quote that he read? I'm trying to find. I it. I
2: mean, Charlie, I think the one that I, that I would love to you to to opine on is really the the comment from, from Tobin? Yeah, because I think that, that that comment that pleading like please challenge President Biden on this critical issue. Yeah, right. I, I think that's a really it's not just calling out. I mean, it is it is calling out and then being really specific of why not use this opportunity, this forum that you have with the president of the largest, most powerful country in the world to. Frankly, somebody use his own faith or use the faith to reaffirm a sure. belief that he should be on the same side with you on.
1: Yeah, look, th- there's both good and bad in the statement from uh, from Bishop Tobin. Number one is I don't doubt for a second. Remember, bishops make a visit to the Vatican every year. There's this thing called mm-hmm. an ad limina visit where they go and they meet, oftentimes for hours as a group because there's you know groups of bishops for every country. So these guys are people who have a relationship with, with this man, right? So it's sure. not like they're, like, throwing a rock and never going to see him again. They're going to see him, right? But he, he says, Dear Pope Francis, you have boldly stated that abortion is murder. That's a, that's a true statement for sure. Please yep. challenge President Biden on this critical issue. His persistent support of abortion is an embarrassment for the church and a scandal to the world. It, that's, ooh. That's rough language. It, it is. It is. It well. That's rough language, man.
2: When you say it's an embarrassment to the church, it's like you're. He's basically you're facilitating an embarrassment to the church.
1: Yeah. Look. Uh, again, I think you can. You can definitely take right? issue with. Yeah, you can. I don't take issue, take issue with anybody. I'm just simply
2: saying, if I read this, and you're mm-hmm. right, if someone has a relationship with the Pope, I think that's the kind of call you make. I mean, I have to imagine these guys have the ability. They do. Like, they do. To be to reach out directly and say that privately. Like, I don't have an issue with someone saying that privately, but that's... He, a,
1: yeah, and- imagine
2: someone telling that to uh, President Biden or President Trump for that matter. For sure. They're, look,
1: Publicly like that
2: and still staying as part of the administration.
1: My hope is that these guys all operate you know, with, with some discernment and, and, and some prudence in how they speak. But the one thing I think about is, remember, every bishop has their own flock here. And when they hear the Pope, or when they hear the, the Pope, has, the Pope has said nothing. And by the way, interesting point, which is the one I was going to mention. Right before they were supposed to meet in, in Vatican City, they were supposed to do a video, uh, kind of a photo op the Pope, and and Biden, like a video-based thing. The Vatican canceled that at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And if you read some of the stories as to why, it's precisely because of this. They didn't want this to turn into the a circus, yeah. right? And people infer and suggest and whatever. So... You know, you'd hope that these that these comments that are made from these bishops are done in a spirit of discernment. But the one thing that I bear in mind is that they have their own flock, their own flock to contend with, and these guys are getting hammered by a thousand phone calls in a day. Going, wait a minute! So it's cool that like uh, right. the Pope gave the okay. So on some level, yeah, but they're not elected officials from that standpoint, right? So it's not like someone's
2: gonna. It's not like their flock are gonna be like, now we vote for a different bishop to now you know run this. this no, area. it's
1: much, but it's much more. See what I'm po- saying? Like, of like, course, like. But so that that pressure could be like, I hear you guys. I'm having a conversation privately with. Them. For sure. But that's not what I'm talking about. The, okay. the, the, the the stakes are significantly higher. These guys are thinking about these people's souls, not whether or not they have a job. And so if somebody right. ends up going, OK, I understand now that Biden said that he's a good Catholic, therefore supporting abortion means I can be a good Catholic. So does that mean I can support abortion? Now, if I'm getting a thousand calls like that, maybe I do want to, for the benefit of my flock, go out there and say, hey, guys, this is what the church teaches. It's what Pope Francis teaches. And we should look at the circumstances, you know, through that light and stop playing into media accounts. Now he could have done that without ever referencing this this meeting directly or even speaking to the Pope. He could have said, "There's been a lot of questions about this. You know, here's what the Church teaches. I just want to reaffirm everything." Right. So he could have done that. But I think some bishops, frankly, are, you know, falling in some cases. Um, victim's the wrong word, but they're being. The ease of communication via social media and, and and the way that these kind of reports come in and you kind of like get instantly outraged, they're falling into that as well, where they want to respond right. right away. Right. And sometimes the better course of action is just to sit back and do things in a bit of a more methodical, thoughtful way, which is what this thing in November that you mentioned is supposed to be. It's not yeah. supposed to be about Biden or the Pope or whatever. It's just supposed to reaffirm what the Eucharist is and what we believe about the Eucharist. And by the way, the last thing I'll say on this is that this— this um uh issue applies to every catholic every single one it's not about the president or a senator or whatever anybody sitting in a pew somewhere mm-hmm. is supposed to go and receive communion if they've if if they've gone essentially if they don't have serious sin on their soul yeah. that's the reality so <laughs> that's why we you know the pope goes to confession every week by the way okay just to give you an example yeah. so it's yeah. it, we all have it we're all sinners we all fall down but it's, um I, yeah. yeah. So, what are your thoughts? I, I think I've talked a lot. Yeah. For yeah. a change.
2: No, I, Damn it. No, this is this is your topic, man. So I I really like how it's coming. I feel like I learn something new every time. And yeah, I still never feel like
1: I even touch the surface, um,
2: the top of the iceberg on this stuff. It's. It, I I know, and I think that's the, the the challenging part. Look, I think when I read that statement from, uh, from uh, Bishop uh, Thomas Tobin, it it feels. If, you, if it didn't say Bishop Thomas Tobin and it said uh, Republican representative from wherever, this would be like, yep, another one, partisan, messaging, going after, and replace Pope for Biden, or if it was Trump, whatever it maybe just sure. whatever the
1: political leader. The opposition is what it feels like. Is what yeah, you're it, <clears throat> it
2: feels very divisive. Okay, it, it doesn't align at all, at least when I hear you describe what a lot of the intent of what the Catholic faith is about, is about reconciliation. This doesn't feel at all... Like, that's the intent. Um, and I think it calls out the Pope in a manner that, frankly, I feel like it undermines the faith even more. Because one of the things that I would say, look, I understand the position that many people who are Catholic very strongly believe in um, in the dignity of life and therefore being pro-life. We I, I comp- I mean, I haven't talked about that. I completely get that. The challenge that I see with this is you have here an actual president who is very Catholic, who is a practicing Catholic, who goes and has paid respect to the Pope multiple times, and is doing probably the best version that he can of his and I'm maybe getting way too much credit but I'm just okay I'm saying the best version that he can about being being a good catholic while <clears> still <throat> trying to lead you know a a massive nation right and one of the biggest economies etc right in the world but it feels like that's not good enough like you almost have to pick one and once again I go back to when I think about a lot of the the concern people had about John F. Kennedy when he was going was, you know, was running for president, they're like, Oh, how are we gonna elect a Catholic? Then he's gonna report to the to the Pope. And having to then choose between your faith and being a president, it feels like these bishops, whether they intend to or not, they're painting a picture that it makes me feel less warm and fuzzy about having someone that is a practicing Catholic. That really believes in the faith and be in any kind of position of power, if they're gonna have to at some point then choose one or the other, and then to get this kind of pressure, which I get, this, I get the pressure, but I think that could be done privately. Mm-hmm. And when you call it the Pope, who is literally the most important figure in the Catholic Church, then like no one's off the, you know, uh, you know, no, like like everyone, everyone is game at this point, including the Pope. And I find it like really. Uh, it it bothers me because I think that the Catholic faith has already lost so many like you know parishioners as it is that I don't think this makes that better. I don't think this makes the religion feel more
1: welcoming. I think it makes it the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I think that's, that's a, my yeah. yeah. So so what's your net? Because you didn't say. Oh, I'm cringe. I'm yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm cringe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're both maybe for different reasons. Yeah. Um, what would you? How would you handle this? So I, I think you would do two as ways. As an example, I, I think, but hang on, the, let me set it up. Mm-hmm. So you have two thousand years of teaching on the sanctity of human life. Every bishop, no matter if they called out the pope or not, or the ones who are the friendliest to Biden, let's say you know uh, uh, Cardinal Wilton from D.C., who is his own bishop, who's been very supportive of him, had him you know talked to him many times in very many meetings, and so you have. All of this history and all of this teaching, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of confusion among Catholics going, is, is abortion cool or not? On the basis of this statement, how do you balance those those two if you're, say, the bishop of, of one of these dioceses?
2: Sure. Yeah. I think if, if my—because this is the bishop's re- reaction to this meeting taking place. Correct. And and that at least it seems from Biden's you know camp that abortion was not brought up in the conversation. Right, But and he, then, and but then he go- knows.
1: He knows the teaching. I mean, it's not like he doesn't know. He, For sure. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's,
2: that's kind of the—yeah, that's that's a little bit of what, I, what, what I'm what re- i reacting to. So I would
1: I would use it—I think you already
2: kind of said it. One is use it as a moment to reaffirm what our faith believes in, to, frankly, to celebrate the Pope has this kind of open door and use it as an opportunity to continue to bridge the gap with world leaders around addressing the issues that our faith believes in. And in hopes that this is one of many sessions that continue to happen so that we come closer to living up to the ideals that we want to have for our faith and why we think it's so important. Mm-hmm. I would celebrate the meeting, celebrate the fact that you still have the president of the U.S. who cares enough to go and give the, the respect to the Pope, which he doesn't have to, but he does. And he's like, is someone that obviously there's a relationship there? has done now multiple times. I will celebrate that and, and use it as opportunity to once again welcome the dialogue Because to me, it's about what you said earlier. It's about reconciliation. How do you use the opportunity to get closer together, Of course, not divide? And I think the approach that he's taking here or that they took here feels very much driven around dividing further, about getting further apart rather than trying to bring people closer
1: together. So you would affirm the perennial teaching, but you would do it in a way where it says, look, it's almost like the principle of— ecumenism or interfaith dialogue, like, hey, we're not going to agree on all things. Let's focus on the things that we do agree on. We can build some communion or unity around that. And then hopefully through that relationship, bigger things or broader things can happen. Yeah, I mean,
2: in a very practical way is that if I'm someone that hasn't gone to church in a long time and I started going to church, I would hope that the priest that is there celebrates this opportunity to engage me that I'm there. Not to give me crap of all the things that I don't believe in that the church believes in. Absolutely. Well, that's that's and impar- that's and that's what I. That's a really simplistic way of sure. saying what I'm, think, what I'm trying to say I here. Think and I don't think they're doing that by, by giving this message.
1: See, I agree with you. I think that's Catholic 101. I mean, the story of the prodigal son who like goes and squanders his dad's money and he's got sure. prostitutes and all kinds of stuff, and he comes back and his dad runs off the terrace and gives him a giant hug and he's like, "Hey, my son that was dead is now back to life." Yeah, yeah. yeah. He didn't go like, "Hey, you know what? Like, where you been the last six months? What right. you been doing? Now, who knows what happened. A year later, maybe yeah, he did, yeah. maybe. but right. at that moment, and I think that's right. I think that's what we should do. And again That'll be my orientation, I guess. I think that's the right orientation. Yeah. I don't think, at the end of the day, last point, I don't think we ultimately know what happened in that 90, 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. We won't know, but I can tell you for sure, based on the articles that I've read, it ain't the full story. That's all I can tell you. There's a lot more well, sure. nuance in yeah. there. All right. So anyway, that's where we're at.
2: So that was about an hour and a
1: half. Courage or cringe? Ch- it's all right. Changing gears. We'll do these quickly. Courage Four or minutes. Cringe. Come on. Oh,
2: so Halloween edition. Virginia councilman deletes, apologizes, sort of, and still defends photo in blackface costume. Oh, I love this one. So we have another politician who's been caught going with blackface. This time, councilman Farron Hamblin from Virginia. Uh, the what councilman decided— Sounds for, like he should be doing motocross
1: <laughs> in, like, uh, Orange County somewhere. You know
2: what I mean? This is Fair the, Hamblin. That's, this is just great. The councilman decided for Halloween to go in blackface as one of Eddie Murphy's iconic characters from Coming to America. Hysterical. Now, did someone leak the photo? No, no. He actually posted it himself.
1: <laughs>
2: he shared the image— This may cause some problems. All right, of his homage to Randy Watson, the musician character in the film Coming to America. And, of course, he did it in full blackface, right? Something which, of course, caused immediate outrage, you know. And after the outrage, Hamlet deleted the post and then came the hard, half-hearted apology. He said, folks, I made a post of me dressed like a movie character, Randy Watson. For those of you uh, who know the movie, Randy is a black man. So I dressed apart. suit, hair, and yes, my makeup was brown. Many saw it degrading, which I did not. I did not show my love. I did it. Say it I again. Did,
1: I did it to show.
2: Yeah, I did it to show, sorry, I did it to show my love for the character and the movie. But since I'm white, uh, it's considered by some as offensive as uh, to dress as a black person. Uh, So first, he compared himself to Eddie Murphy. He said, in the movie, Eddie Murphy portrayed a white Jewish man, and it was funny as hell. I can't speak for the Jewish community, and I'm sure some were offended, but Eddie showed his freedom of expression. He never meant any ill harm to the Jewish community. Then, of course, he you now, to the new you know head of anti-cancel culture, Dave Chappelle, he's like, Eddie or Dave Chappelle, I don't go around walking on eggshells, worried about hurting someone's feelings, but I never intended for this to be a racist issue.
1: Yeah, but you're not a comedian, though. <laughs> and by the way, I think the title is Czar of Anti-Cancel. Is that what it with, is? Okay. You know, Dave Chappelle.
2: So... Mm-hmm. There was more to this, but courage or cringe, councilman misunderstood for his love of a movie, or yet one more politician failing to recognize that blackface doesn't
1: work in any scenario. I'm going to change things up and have you go first, but mm-hmm. I will say one thing, that he's got a point on... Which part? the the In the movie, Eddie Murphy portrayed a white Jewish man, and it was funny as hell. Here's the irony of that statement, is that at no point in that movie does that character say that he's Jewish. So it's the worst kind of thing in the fact that he is playing a stereotypical Jewish person with mm-hmm. the whole accent and the this and right. blah. and and he and everyone knows he's a Jewish character even though nowhere in the movie does it say he's Jewish. Right, right. So which is different than uh, you know sure. being able to recognize somebody's a different color, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I thought it it's it's an interesting point that he makes. Um yeah. As, as nobody is, seems outraged about that, which is, to my mind, far worse, because no, at no point are you saying he's Jewish. You're just using all these bad sure, kind of accretions yeah. around Jew, Jewish people and saying that this person, this character is Jewish.
2: That's right. Um, so I will start with, it's definitely cringe. I, I find it hilarious for a whole bunch of reasons. One is, um, there is a great skit uh, for Saturday Night Live uh, where it's like this head of HR, the black dude of HR, and then, some, and then one of the... Uh, one of the executives of the company—he's like having like a meeting with all the executives—has just been caught using blackface, mm-hmm. and this, this head of HR like, "Listen, guys, we cannot. He's a black dude. Like, we cannot do this." And as he's talking, it keeps on coming up. Every people making an example like, "Well, what if I want to, say, you know, like dress up as Michael Jackson?" He's like, "You did not dress up as Michael Jackson, did you?" Well, I did." I'm like, "Okay, you cannot do that." And like, little by little, every single person in the room has dressed in blackface. And I'm like. No one dressed in blackface anymore. Like, why can't people just simply understand that? And I think there is definitely an element of this. And in this Mm -hmm. day and age, if you don't know that, that could be potentially seen as offensive. Like, I just don't know what to tell you anymore. And, And I love his comparison to Eddie Murphy, his comparison to Dave Chappelle. You know, it reminds me of of the Office, uh, where the, the the main the main character Scott, right, was always comparing himself to these great comedians and doing these terrible jokes that everyone cringed in the in the office. Like Michael you're Scott, not that, yeah. yeah, Michael Scott. Like you're not them. Like stop trying to try to be that. Yeah. Uh, so for a whole set of reasons, I think this is super cringy. And so you're cringe
1: across the board, even to his deletion apology, the whole nine yards. Is that the, Just the fact that he did it, he deleted it, all of it. I, I, the fact that he still did it, I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. wh- what, like what year are you living in?
2: Yeah. How many examples have you seen of, of a lot of politicians coming out with the exact same thing of in course. blackface, yeah. and then having to apologize, and then your, half, your half-baked apology where you're comparing yourself to these comedians, to these iconic comedians as a way to justify your position. Like, come on,
1: man. Yeah. So for this one, I need to separate. So I also am cringe, but I want to separate a couple things. I'm cringe on this individual and his significant lack of judgment given who he is and what what we're going through right now. Right. But I do think there's two things. Number one is I, I have serious problems with the metric of knowing that you're going to offend somebody because it seems that everything offends someone and it's a tough metric to kind of bear out. I'm sure there's things about my faith that offend a lot of people. I'm not going to stop living it just because it offends you. Mm-hmm. So the the offense metric is a difficult one for me. And also I think that intent, which is a point you've made very often on the show, mm-hmm. Has to matter if your intent is to honor someone or honor something, that's different than if you're trying to rag on someone or tear something down by what you're doing. I, I right? would
2: agree with you 99% of the time, but Go now ahead. when there's so much historical evidence at this point, that regardless of intent, and everyone has the same thing, it was, it was honoring somebody, you're honoring whatever, like actors, singers. How many examples can we point to? We will find hundreds of examples at this point. No,
1: but I take and that, if you don't no, know no, that
2: no, no, by no, no, now, no, no. and you're a politician, where public opinion matters to you, like what but are that, you talking? But about? But that goes to judgment, which is,
1: which is the point where we agree. I would disagree with you on the fact that well, I don't know what percentage you assign to this. Maybe it's a very small percentage, but. Mm-hmm. In the case of the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, whatever it was, when he he had the the blackface controversy, the Halloween costumes was a guy in a KKK hood next to a black guy. Oh, yeah, 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 that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, no, but that's not – your intent there is precisely to ridicule, to demean, to Mm -hmm. degrade. I don't ascribe that to this particular person, not even close. I think that his fault was a a lack of judgment on like an extraordinarily level Mm -hmm. because he's a public figure. Because your own – they're electing – they elect somebody today. Right. Virginia's – I don't even know what happened there. Do you know what happened with that? No, I don't know actually. I haven't seen. They they had elections today. Yeah. And you're putting this out there now. I guess the part
2: that I agree with you is that do I think he was intending to go out and be racist? No, I don't. I don't think he was at all.
1: Not at all. And I, and I it's,
2: but it's terrible. Like it's well, terrible. I, I get judgment. that. And, I, and again,
1: I agree with you. But I agree with you in in the area of judgment for him as a council elected official in a state that's having an election at a moment like the one we're living with. I completely disagree with the idea that people can't dress in a context of Halloween or Dia de los Muertos or whatever it is in something other than who they are if their intent is to do something you know, beautiful and creative and, and whatever. Yeah, and I think I people think, will always be offended. I think, think there will always be
2: somebody. I think there it depends. Because the line between homage and and um, and then making fun of a culture, I think, is a very, very thin line. Um, I mean, the, the, what I could think of is... Right, but
1: who's the arbiter of that? Twitter? I mean, who gets to it decide
2: could be, that? Yeah, sure. It could be... You're right. I mean, you could say people in general. Of course, like, who gets to say, yeah, I guess we people in general, and then the kind of response that you get. Once again, to me, it's like, it's not I don't think they can't do it. They can do whatever they want. But then the 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 result of what you do doing what you want should be whatever happens from that. Maybe, yes, he loses an election. Maybe it's that. Maybe it gets canceled on Twitter. Maybe it's that. I'm not saying he can't do it. But like, like the, the thing that I could think of, my first experience with this were... I can remember really clearly was when I started school in Santa Barbara, right? So UC Santa Barbara was a very white school. And the thing that got me a lot, it wasn't, Halloween was a really big deal there, but put aside Halloween. The thing that I was really surprised, I've never seen it before, how many people, uh, and especially white students, like to have theme parties where people go in full costume. I've never, had never experienced that, you know, where I grew up, it just, that wasn't a thing. And the number of times that I saw, you know, pimps and hoes that I saw like cholos or or Mexicans as being like the theme was amazing. And this was before cancel culture. This is before you know stuff was really going on on Facebook. Were, and you,
1: were you offended by that? Like, absolutely,
2: yeah. yeah. In, all, in all those cases, offended. I'm not saying they can't do it. Of course, you could do what you could do what you want. But I thought it was very offensive. And even if they were saying, "Oh no, we're we're celebrating the culture," no, you're not.
1: Yeah, but in that case, it gets to the point where
2: you have the big mustache. Like, is that really celebrating? Like, right. Unless you're Samity Sam, no one has a mustache like that. Do you so, think that, do you, it, the line between celebrating and all of a sudden then, you know, offending someone, I think is it's a do particular Do you think line. there may
1: have been some Che Guevara costumes this Halloween? Or some Probably. Pedro sure. Escobar costumes? Of Mafia Don? And I think all if, that you, stuff? if
2: you're wearing a Che Guevara costume here in LA, you have a very different perception than if you're doing it in Miami. If you don't, So I guess this is the thing, too, is like part of the like, can you do it? Sure. But if you walk into the wrong place and someone calls you off for it, then you've not opened yourself to the outcome of, of that. No question. Right? So that's why I'm not saying that they can't do it. They could do what they want. But yeah. they, but I'm also not going to defend them not getting the repercussion because of the action that they, it's they're It's a taken.
1: supreme lack of judgment. He deserves the yeah. giant cringe for it. But I think intent has to matter. It has to matter I, I agree with me. the case. Like, I don't think he was trying
2: to be, like, yeah, racist That's a thing. funny character. It, it is isn't... a hilarious character, but it's, yeah. Anyways, we, we're, we're, I think, I think we agree on that. Come on, let's go for three hours. Uh, so, last Courage or Cringe. So, let's, let's finish off on where we started, which is Day of the Dead. So, Doritos goes viral with Dia de los Muertos ad that celebrates LGBTQ plus
1: communities. The videos got like 17 seven million, mil- 17, million views. 17
2: million views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it was, uh, as, as a matter of fact, when I read this article, it was like, it got viral with four million views. That was like from three days ago. Uh, so it's an incredible spot. Yeah, so it's going it's going viral, right? So we, we talked about the <laughs> beginning, celebrating you know Day of the Dead or Día los Muertos. Um, now for Doritos, uh, Doritos Mexico specifically decided to honor this holiday in a really unique way uh, via their Día de los Muertos related campaign with a short film titled "Nunca Es Tarde para Ser quien eres, uh which translates to "It's never too late to be who you are." Now the app for those of you have haven't seen it, basically it looks like straight cut out of the the movie Coco. Right, it's or,
1: amazing how it's
2: very well like, designed it, it, it literally looks like another like a short from the film Coco where it shows this family uh, going to this this tombstone right it looks like a the other this celebration and they're bringing flowers and food etc and um, all of a sudden the spirit of this older gentleman pops up and it, it 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 seems to be the brother of the older like the basically the matriarch of the family it looks like like the grandmother. And when he pops up uh, as a ghost, his uh, he brings out another ghost, another man, and he presents it as his partner. And you can see the initial shock from from everyone that is there. But then the reaction from the grandma, who basically said, "Like I'm so happy that you found someone. I thought you were gonna, you know, be by yourself forever." And the end, and the spot kind of ends with the idea of like, "It's never too late." Basically, the name of the, the name of, the, of the of the spot, right? Never, mm-hmm. never, never too late to be yourself. Well, that, of course, Spot has, as we mentioned, has now gone viral, like over 17 million views. Now, according to a rep of the company, they said, in Mexico, the Day of the Dead is a celebration of life. It's a moment to share our respect, love, and unity for all the people we cherish, even if they are gone. It's an opportunity for Doritos Mexico to celebrate love and our commitment to the LGBTQ plus community every day. It's never late to be who you are. We want to say that it's never too late to share your true self. And when you're ready, we will support you. Right? So we talked about how many views that it now has. There, of course, has been also some negative responses, right? which included things like accusing the brand of just trying to sell more, which is, I think, an obvious one, uh, going with woke messaging, um, or even accusing the brand of painting Mexican as homophobic. Um, now, lastly, this ad is actually a continuation of the company's uh, pride all year effort which expands queer friendly messaging beyond pride and into other major holidays such as christmas and mother's day and of course day of the Dead.
1: i didn't know that they were doing a lot of this uh pride month stuff internationally though. that's a part that I, that was news to it's, me like,
2: yeah uh well i hadn't seen that and definitely i've never seen it like that in mexico i mean i'm sure they do it but i just hadn't seen it and i think this concept of pride all year it's a really interesting one uh and tying it back to these other big holidays right so so Courage or Cringe, Dorito celebrating LGBTQ uh, communities in an inspirational and culturally relevant manner, or Brand jumping on the on the woke bandwagon to sell more chips?
1: Ugh. It, it, I definitely have mixed feelings on this one. Mm-hmm. I think the execution itself... Um, so I think all, all told, I'm going to be a cringe when I net out on this, But, sure. and I'm doing this in real time because I haven't actually written anything down for this one. I think that the... The spot itself, the creative, the cultural insight behind it, the quality of it, I mean, remarkable. I don't know what this thing cost in Mexico, but if it was done here, it would have been a pretty penny. It was really exceptionally done. And the message is very touching. And it's the idea of, you know, look, you know, it may be something that somebody did uh, when they were alive that may have uh, had people look a different way or, or, or disagree with. But in the end, you know, when everything is resolved and you're up in heaven or wherever this uh, spot claims that these people are, that it's kind of all good and there's there's peace and isn't that great and, and kind of be yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think all those things are fine. To me, it's difficult to divorce um, the idea that it is, for me, especially a Christian holiday, right? It's a Christian... Uh, uh, Dia Dia de los uh, los Muertos, which is today, is is something that is part of the Christian tradition. And so to the extent that it says that this holiday is one that um, somehow, you know, teaches something other than what the holiday is meant to do, like that's where it gets a little bit difficult for me to just, you know, kind of go, oh yeah, this is great, and let's do the Christmas with the baby Jesus, and we'll have them... You know, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe baby Jesus has a boyfriend or something like, you know, you can go out into like all these different areas. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's where it starts touching on an area where I'm just not comfortable in.
2: What part of the spot do you feel like it's going counter to what the holiday is?
1: Well, I'll give you one idea specifically Mm -hmm. is that there is no, it's an explicit teaching of, of Christianity that there is no marriage at all in heaven so we're not married in heaven we're not paired off in heaven the way that we are here mm-hmm. we're supposed to be paired with the divine ultimately because that's our destination so that as a simple idea that that's not the understanding of of a christian person looking at day of the dead or heaven in general mm-hmm. so that's like an example of something right where you know a, a child looking at that might say wait so we we get to like be with our Partner, whoever that is in heaven, well, then that leads to a conversation you need to have with that with that kid. At least if you take that. That's an interesting
2: point because I have never heard that as something. Because a lot of my growing up, and I grew up Catholic, and you're familiar there. You know, people always talking about meeting your loved ones again or reuniting with your loved ones, of
1: course, and you're all together in unison. But that's what this. But you're not married.
2: Yeah, but but there was nothing about marriage in this case, right?
1: Well, he said, uh, "This is my pareja. This is yeah, my, my couple. This that's is right. my, my person." Yeah, that's right. That's not a marriage uh, statement. Okay. Well, then even the statement of "This is my person that I'm with in heaven" is something right. that that doesn't. And look, it's not even a Catholic thing. There, there's specifically in the Bible, Jesus has asked that question about like, "Are we married?" There's and not to get too far afield, but really quickly, there's mm-hmm. there's uh, he's approached by some of the the people of the day, and they said, "Listen." You know, this guy married this woman, then he died, and the woman married the the brother, and then he died, and then the woman married the other brother. So, whose wife is she in heaven? And Jesus said, "Nobody's, because when we get to heaven, we're like the angels, right? And we're there to really worship God Mm -hmm. and be with God." So that's an example of where, for me, you know, it, it it kind of starts running into a different territory because this is an actual, you know, Christian holiday. So that's an example. Now, the last point that I'll make is the question that I ask myself, and I don't know how Doritos is in Mexico, but is Doritos the right ambassador for this kind of message? Do they have that kind of equity, I guess, built up? Are they doing it to mm-hmm. sell more potato chips? I mean, sure. Of course, but they're sure. a marketer, so yes. Yeah. You know, are they doing it in yeah. a way, you know? So, okay. Yeah, I don't know. All right. That's, so that's, 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 okay, that's, that's fair. That's my so three point. I'm, analysis. I'm, yeah. So I'm courage.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm courage for three main reasons. So I'll, I'll go with your three, three points, but I do want to talk about response to some of the things that you said. So my three points of why this is courage. First is I love the fact that this is a a spot that is that, that brings on pride themes outside of Pride Month. Like you and I talk about this all the time, and we use it in the context of a lot of things. Like even having Latino-related content outside of Hispanic Heritage Month, like these communities are not just important, and the month that's been assigned to them – from a marketing or from a you know marketing budget perspective, so the fact that they they found a way to celebrate this community mm-hmm. in a really relevant manner um, outside of Pride Month, I like I really love that, and because I, I think it also from a marketing standpoint, it separates the brand from the fray. Because no one else, because everyone, will, if this would happen in in like during in June Pride Month, then it's just one of thousands of other people that are doing all the same thing, right? So I love that from a marketing standpoint. Number two is I really love that the fact that they really tied it to a cultural insight. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like that that. was really well done. And I think to me, it's a cultural insight that goes beyond the fact that it's tied to Day of the Dead. To me, the cultural insight that I see, and I speak to it as as someone that, you know, has seen it in my own family and a lot of other Latino families. Latino families historically have been much more conservative, where people that were gay or are gay have a harder time coming out. And I think of many families, have that one family member that everyone knew they were gay, no one could say it. And for it, it was just kind of like hush hush and that person was never comfortable enough to be able to come out. So sure. this dynamic of having someone that went to the grave and never fully came out or be who they truly were you know wanted to be, I think is great cultural insight of thinking about Latino culture that while it's changed a lot, I think, when you think about it historically, especially for my parents' generation and before that, mm-hmm. I could definitely see that being being the case. Um I so really I really like that a lot. Um Third point, and there was a third point. Which I just, I just blanked on what the third point was. Um, but anyway, so those are at least two points. What about
1: points. the woke uh, brand thing? The like,
2: yeah, I don't, I don't see it that way. I think that the, um, once again, I think it was done in a, such an authentic manner that I really like how they did this messaging. And because they're doing it in the non-obvious time period, then it feels less of just jumping on the woke bandwagon. But the I non-obvious think, I think time the,
1: period, though, there's also the time period of Day of the Dead, though. Yeah, that yeah, is the so, obvious time period. Yeah, yeah. So the, the you mean not? Is, you mean not June?
2: Well, yeah, the non-obvious meaning like you made a data dead spot, which everyone expects you to create, and made it a pride spot. And I love that sort of quick mm-hmm. redirect, mm-hmm. right? That's what makes it to me not being just jumping on the, the bandwagon. Yeah, because yeah. you're you're giving me something that I'm not expecting from you. I'm expecting mm-hmm. to see a data dead spot when I first saw it. I was like, oh, okay, it's kind of a cute. I actually thought it was kind of something cocoa related. And, and then you're like, I mean, like oh man, like, this is something completely different, completely unexpected. So really, I love that. I think the other thing too that you brought up about this being a Christian holiday, the part that I struggle with this is that at what point does it stop being a Christian holiday and just being a, like when I think of the context of Mexico, a Mexican holiday?
1: I think it's already that now. What I'm saying is so you would say for like, me. In, 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 yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Me. No, for you. For, yeah,
2: yeah I, I get that. But I think that's the part where... And and I could speak to this from like, trying to introduce my ex wife to a lot of the culture and it was she had a really hard time understanding the fact that like these are very influenced by the Catholic Church, but they've kind of become a new thing now mm-hmm. because they're they are part of our culture. And whether or not you're religious or not, it almost doesn't matter. Like this is part of your tradition that you do as a culture, for sure. Um, and I think I, I definitely put Day of the Dead in that in that in that kind of category. And
1: there's been other movements and there's and there's fringes on all sides, right? There's one side that's taken the Day of the Dead stuff and gone into this whole like Santa Muerte thing and like all this stuff that a lot of the cartels and whatever have, oh, yeah, which yeah, is a of variation yeah, of this. Yeah. And then there's other groups on the other side. We had at our parish a big Day of the Dead uh, altar, like a big mural, and it was vandalized. Like well, in why? Our, well, I don't know why, but it was vandalized in our church. But like, okay, if you're going to ascribe the worst kind of possible intentions, maybe it's somebody who thought that that was some kind of pagan thing that was celebrating death— our, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, at, on Sunday, our pastor literally at the end of the mass, at the end of the service right. said like, look, I want to explain what Day of the Dead is. Reminder that this was born out of All Souls Day. And here's what it means. So yeah. you don't need to be vandalizing our thing. <laughs> to get right? fired up about it. Yeah. So, there, so I agree that's with you that weird. today, yeah. right uh. now, it's bigger. It's broader than just, in right, fact, right, most right. people don't even know that it's, that it's a religious holiday, that that's where it comes from. But I'm just that's, saying, for that's me, that's yeah. something that's difficult for me to if, if, if remove from the yeah, yeah I, is I, I all can I'm see saying. that.
2: I can see that. I mean, that influenced your your perspective of um, of of how you view this. You know, you've been it through through that lens. I guess that I would say it,
1: or which, it's hard for me to not view it partially through that lens. Right, right, exactly. Right. I, understand
2: that. I understand that. Cool.
1: All right. Cool. Um, so that's that's our show for this week. Again, if you're listening on. Our new uh, network, Revolver, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. Please share this show. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Get in touch. Any uh, final words, Jesus, until we see our audience again? Uh, no, no, no. Really? That's it. find yeah. that hard to believe. No, Are you no. sure? I you have nothing sure. else to say. Nothing else. All right. Very good. So we'll see everybody again next week on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the diversity remix please remember first of all to subscribe and help us to spread the word tell your friends family co-workers and give us a five-star review we're available on apple and google podcasts spotify and everywhere else you get your listening fix and lastly please remember to stop by blackbrown.us the creator of this podcast and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Capelle University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it.